Hello, and welcome. We're glad that you spent some time with us as we discuss spiritual things. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples in the west side of Los Angeles. And today we'd like to discuss a very important issue in terms of our relationship with God. In Romans 10 and verse 17, Paul makes a wonderful declaration that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. In a lot of ways, we'd love for the communication process to be extremely simple and easy. That a message is spoken, the gospel message is spoken in its pure simplicity, that it is then properly understood, and then it is heeded and obeyed. Unfortunately, that's not the case. There are a lot of ways in which the point of communication can be corrupted. Either the speaker, uh, proclaimer, or the preacher, the one that's the person who's communicating the message, and uh, other times we can kind of look at how a lot of times that the corruption can take place on that end. But there's a lot of ways in which the communication of the message is hindered or rendered moot by the one who is receiving the message. The person is often called the respondent. Now the whole point of preaching the gospel is for those who hear it to heed what is preached and live by faith in God. So Paul in Romans 1, 16-17 says that the gospel is God's power to salvation, for in it the, is revealed uh, God's salvation through faith. That it is the one who will be saved will be saved by his faith, and by his faith he will live. And so it's very important for us to explore what it means to hear the gospel so as to have the faith that God intends for us to have. And there's a whole process by which this message would be accepted. There's a lot of levels and forces at work, and so let's consider how this is. Uh, for the purpose of our discussion, we're going to assume that the one who has preached the gospel has done his job superbly, that he has understood the message of Scripture, that he has found a way to speak the message, we call it encoding, uh, so that it is understandable to the speaker, I mean to the listener, and that the listener can understand in his context, that it, 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 it's being uh, communicated in such a way to be understood by a person at his time, and that the least amount of distortion possible has taken place at that end of the communication. Now, how will somebody respond to the message of God when they hear? Well, there's lots of different examples, uh, levels of, example, of acceptance of the message based on all sorts of factors in Scripture. There's a stage one that we're going to call it, the acceptance of basic communication. And that's just a decoding of the message. Uh, the first th stage is simply that the message is accepted, that that's what the speaker has said, that the words have come out of their mouth, and the basic meaning of that those words have been understood. Now, the speaker here may not believe anything that the speaker has said. They may have absolutely no confidence in his authority. They may think he is completely ridiculous. But they at least understood what's been said. A great example of this is in Jeremiah 26, 1 through 10. The people understood that Jeremiah had compared Jerusalem to Shiloh and that it was going to be devastated by the Babylonians. But uh, they did not believe that was the way it was going to happen. And they wanted to have him executed for saying such a thing in the name of God. In verses 8 and 9. So a person who is at this level uh, will not accept the credibility or the authority of the speaker or God and his word uh, from which the speaker has derived his message. That this lack of acceptance can exist for all kinds of reasons. Uh, maybe they believe in a different worldview. Maybe they have a different belief system. They don't want to see that the gospel has convicted the, their behavior as wrong. 
and uh, Jesus would consider such a one the road soil. They the, the word is, they reject the word, and the, and, and the word is of no value in their hearts. Matthew thirteen three and four and eighteen nineteen. Um, <clears throat> now there, there's sometimes like in Jeremiah four three one through four where uh, Jeremiah was asked by the, the group of people pre- preserved after the death of Gedaliah uh, what God wanted them to do. And, and he, he, Jeremiah consulted God, and God said very clearly, don't go down to Egypt, stay where you are. But the people said, no, no, that's not what God said to you. You're just saying that because Baruch is scared. Baruch, your secretary, is scared. So the people all believed in the authority of, of God, but they just didn't believe that yeah, Jeremiah was properly speaking uh, for him. And it's kind of between the first stage we've talked about and the second stage, which is perhaps an acceptance of consistency between message and authority. And that is that the listener grants not only that the words have been spoken, but that he has spoken faithfully according to his source of authority. That he has spoken accurately considering the word of God. They may not believe that message yet, but they at least say, okay, I can see that what he is saying is according to what God had said in Scripture, or in the Gospel message. We see this in Jeremiah 38, 14-24. Jeremiah is full of great examples of this because we have so much interaction between the prophet and the people to whom he speaks. King Zedekiah uh, comes to take counsel from Jeremiah in Jeremiah 38, 14-24, which is astonishing if you read the rest of the book because he has yet to listen to Jeremiah. And in fact, he also does not even really do what Jeremiah encourages him to do. We see in Jeremiah 39, 4-7. Uh, but... Not only does Zedekiah understand what Jeremiah has to say about maybe you know surrendering to Nebuchadnezzar's forces, but even asks a question based upon it in verse 19, where he asks, well, what will the Judean exiles do to me? So he's thinking about it. He's not denying that what Jeremiah has says is, is, is inconsistent with what God has said. No, he can see the consistency. He just, for whatever reason, does not follow through with it. At this stage, there's still something holding a person back from accepting the message is really legitimate. Uh, perhaps it's uncomfortable. It may demand change. It may not fit that person's worldview. And so at this stage, even though they can see the consistency, they still likely want nothing to do with it. Then we move to the third stage, and that is when people accept the message and the authority as an abstract truth. And so, basically, this is granting the condition of stage two. That the word of God is truth, that the message is truth, because it's based on the word of God, and therefore the message is accepted as truth. But at this stage, the the truth is only recognized in the abstract. It's not really applied. For instance, in James 2.19, James says, uh, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Or in John 8, verse 30, that based upon some of the words that Jesus had said, that there was a group of Jews who believed. Now, in these examples, they do believe. They accept the truth that Jesus is the Son of God, at least for this moment. Um, But do demons become obedient to God because of that? No, they shudder because of the truth of it. Uh, the Jews will, these Jews who believe will ultimately seek to stone Jesus when he starts making uncomfortable claims and associations with God the Father in John 8 and verse 59. And now this on the other hand, is the stage that must first be reached by anyone who wants to be saved. You've got to reach a point where you recognize that what the Word of God says is truth. But no one can be saved if you stay at that point. You can't be saved if it's just to you an abstract truth. There, again, is something 
going on where taking that abstract truth and applying it to life, there's something in the way. And they're like they're the thorny soil in Matthew 13, 7 and 22. That there's the cares of the world, the seedfulness of riches. All of these things are going on that hinder the person from taking what they know to be true and putting it to work in their lives. Then we have stage four. Which is they somebody who accepts the message and authority as truth and believe it is very relevant to others. So there is a recognition here beyond this just abstract truth that has application to life. It's just that the way that it should be applied is something that others should be seeing. Uh, we see very quickly how other people need to be doing that. We see this in the Pharisees of Matthew 23, 1 through 12. Uh, the Jews in Romans chapter 2, 1 through 5, and 17 through 24. The Pharisees and the Jews of Romans 2 all believe that God exists, he has authority. They all believe in the importance of the law. And they see that people need to do the law. But whenever they look at how the law should be done, they look at how others should be doing it. The Pharise- That's why Jesus condemns the Pharisees. Do as they say, but don't do as they do. They lift up heavy burdens on others, but they will not so much as lift a finger to lift any burden themselves. Uh, in, in Romans chapter 2, Paul excoriates the Jews because uh, even though they say the law is good, they break the law. They do the opposite of the law. It's the reason that the Gentiles, uh, the, it, the God, name of God is blasphemy among the Gentiles. This is very much a hypocritical stage. And the reason why people do this is because they're covering up weaknesses. They're covering up their own weaknesses with professed maturity that they know, but they don't have the substance of maturity. Because they don't have the in, the integrity to apply it to themselves first. They have to first project it to others. There are those who uh, see here but do not do in James 1, 22-25. They see their natural face in the mirror. They see how ugly it is. And so they go away. And, and they forget who they are. But they can see very clearly who everybody else is. And this can exist on an individual or a collective level. It's very easy to focus on other people's problems to deflect from one's own. It's very easy to point out where others fall short, uh, and very little desire to be convicted of one's own failings. Hence, Matthew 7, 1 through 4. Do not judge, lest you be judged by the same standard. Uh, how can somebody with a beam in their eye look to take a speck out of his brother's eye? You've got to take the beam out of your own eye before you can take the speck out of your brother's eye. It is not a justification of what the other person is doing, but it's a recognition that there is no right or ability to start pointing fingers at others until you've at least first pointed the finger at yourself. And that gets us to stage five. A stage we all have to reach. Which is an acceptance of the message and the authority as truth relevant to us. The realization that it is the word of God is true. That when it is proclaimed, it is consistent with the word of God. That therefore it is truth in the abstract, but it can't stay there. It has to be applied to life. And the only life I have control over is mine. And therefore I need to apply it in, to my own life and to change myself based upon what it says. In Acts 2 and verse 37, we see uh, 3,000 Jews on the day of Pentecost cry out to Peter after he said that God had made Jesus both Lord and Christ. They said, what, men and brethren, what shall we do? They've applied it to themselves. He is the one I should follow. What do I do to follow him? And Peter told them, repent, be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And uh, he preached it and told them to save themselves in this crooked generation, and they did so. This is the good soil of Matthew 13, 8, and 23. 
And we also see this in John chapter 6, that Peter and the eleven recognize that Jesus has the words of eternal life, as the Holy One of God, and therefore they'd follow him even though they found Jesus' message difficult and demanding. And those are the people who appreciate the preaching of the gospel. And when they hear the gospel preached, they're trying to find ways to take that message of God and to put it to work in their own lives. So accepting the message proves a little bit more complicated than we'd like. There are a lot of people who are in stage one, a lot of people who are in stage five. A lot of times people vacillate uh, among the stages based upon the aspect and substance of the message. The same person may be very much on board with you saying uh, something about uh, assembling with the fellow Christians, but may not like that same application in terms of, of certain aspects of personal holiness or the need for community or something of that sort. Um, in general, if somebody agrees with the sentiment, the, the more acceptable the sentiment is, the more likely they are to accept it. The more challenging or uncomfortable the, sent, the message, the more resistance that is likely to take place. So, what is some of the things that go into this process of getting from somebody from perhaps a stage one, stage two, into stage three, and, and eventually to stage five? Because really, this is the point of it. If we're not looking at how we proclaim the gospel so as to make it effective in people's lives, we're wasting our time. Just to stand up and preach and yell at people just for the sake of telling them something without really expecting them to do anything about it is completely worthless. The whole point in Romans 1.16, 2 Timothy 4.2-4, is that people need to accept the word of God for what it is, to change their lives in accordance with it. And if people are preaching something on the one side just to make people feel better, uh, that's the smooth talking and itching ears, that they're going to receive their condemnation. On the other side, if we're just ranting and raving and then feeling good because, well, we told them even if they don't change, we're not really trying to, to, to speak seasoned with salt and grace and to, to consider how we handle outsiders in Colossians chapter 4. And so therefore we do well to kind of consider a lot of the different factors that go into whether somebody's willing to accept the gospel as true, authoritative, and applicable. First of all, there's got to be legitimacy of the speaker. Uh, the speaker is very important in the process of accepting the message. Um, how, however well they speak or don't speak, they're the ones through whom the message is coming. And so... If the speaker does not have any legitimacy in the eyes of the one hearing, then the hearer is going to have very little reason to accept or to listen to the message. And that's why the speaker has to have credibility and legitimacy in proclaiming uh, the gospel message. That's why they need to study it and convey it accurately in Second Timothy 2 and verse 15. The very important thing is they have to gain a hearing. You can't just go up to somebody and start going with the gospel. You've got to have some opening, some reason, some question, some interest, however slight some opening where the person feels like that is an acceptable response. If they feel like you have imposed upon them a response that they weren't willing to hear, they're going to shut it down immediately. We see this in Acts 2.12. Uh, the events of the day of Pentecost gave Peter an opening to speak. It's chapter 3, 9-11. through 11. The uh, healing of the man born lame gave an opportunity to people who were going to listen. Uh, chapter 8 and verse 30. Uh, the studying of of the, of the book of uh, Isaiah gave Philip an opportunity. Uh, in chapter 13 15, the uh, leader of the synagogue in Anacquisidia asked uh, Paul and Barnabas if they had a message of encouragement to come and give it. And so Paul took advantage of the opportunity. In Acts 17 19 to 20, Paul only went up to Areopagus or Mars Hill to uh, provide the discourse he does because many of the philosophers in the marketplace encouraged him to do so. They wanted to hear more about these things that he was saying. 
Beyond that, as Paul says in Romans 2, 23-24, that the lives have to be consistent with the message they proclaim, because nobody really wants to accept a message of someone who is not willing uh, to practice it themselves. So, the speaker has to have legitimacy, but as legitimate as the speaker is in the sight of the person, if there's no belief in legitimacy of the authority behind the speaker, they're, they're still not going to hear the message. Uh, therefore, there needs to be acceptance that God exists, that he has communicated with us in his creation and through Christ and in Scripture, and that that has to exist as a conversation about as spiritual things. That's what Isaiah emphasizes in Isaiah 45, 18-19. Paul goes there in Romans chapter 1. In Second Timothy 3, about the wisdom of Scripture, uh, Hebrews 1, about Jesus, and in Acts 17, we can see how he does that. As the conversation continues, beyond just the existence of God and Christ, uh, there needs to be agreement that there's a sin problem, that since we've been corrupted in mind and feeling and action, that we have to trust what God says and not in ourselves, that we can understand the revelation of God and to accomplish it together, and that we need to understand how God communicates and how God's communication is authoritative, to understand a proper view of authority. In Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 1.10, that we can come to an agreement if we can't find agreement on these things and the reality behind these matters, really this conversation about authority, uh, there's going to be a refusal to hear and movement toward rejection, relativism, or some form of ecumenism. What that means is somebody's going to hear something they don't like and is going to straight out reject it. They're going to maybe say, well, that might be true for some, but not for others. Or there might be a desire to say that everybody has their own hazy understanding and they're all heading to the same path. The only way you can avoid uh, coming to that impasse is to make sure there's first agreement on general principles of authority of who God is, who we are in relation to Him, and, and, and our condition. Or, the minute we get to some of these controversial or counter-cultural aspects of the Gospel, uh, people are going to look for these exits because of the discomfort. If you can't accept the authority of God and Christ that He calls the shots and we don't, it's going to be very difficult to get beyond stage 3 of acceptance. And we see, of course, that revealed for us in Matthew 28, verse 18. And we also have to be aware that throughout the hearing process, there are all kinds of reactions to what's being heard, and inclinations toward or against its acceptance. That human beings are not automatons, that they feel as well as they think. That God made us with feeling, and they can be harnessed to glorify Him. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26-28, we act like feelings are problematic sometimes, and that's unfortunate. Because while feelings can be deceptive, and while feelings are not a measure in and of themselves, uh, then pure emotion and feeling is, is of a very cannot lead us to God. Neither can just pure men, mental effort, pure intellectualism. That we are a mix of these things, and so must our faith. Very rarely is anybody indifferent to the preaching of the gospel. We either feel like it's, it's right, it's true, or we're inclined against it because it's got something to say we, doesn't, we don't like. And that's true if it may be accurate or if we feel like it might be false or wrong. We can see that again in Acts 2 versus Acts 7. There are these two very visceral reactions to the message, and there's therefore two different outcomes. Uh, in Acts 2, as we saw, they, they heard the message and they wanted to be saved. In Acts 7, they heard the message and they wanted to stone Stephen. And perhaps there's also a, a measure of the spiritual battlefield between the spirit and the force of evil here, that they uh, seeking to turn the hearts of the people toward or away from the Lord. In Acts 16.14, Lydia's heart is open to hear the word of the Lord. And in 26.18, uh, we see kind of a hardening of the heart of the, of the Jews because they didn't want to hear. 
And in Second Corinthians 11, verse 14, we hear uh, that Satan can certainly deceive and works in that field as well. Now, the visceral reactions and inclinations all trend negatively. The, the ex- I likelihood that always going to accept it is very little. That's why we need to kind of try to, as much as we're able, to try to engender sympathy and try to explain that which is difficult, so that even if there is a viscerally negative reaction, that it can people can mollify that and say, okay, I don't like that, but I can see why it's there. And it make it seem... Not that we're trying to wash water down the gospel, far far be it, but that many times that visceral reaction is coming from all sorts of concerns that that may not actually be accurate. It's just a visceral feeling. After all, feelings aren't necessarily trained by reason, so we do well to, to be aware of these things as we communicate the gospel. But of course, the biggest problem is whether or not the person proves willing to apply what they've heard in light of their personal condition and circumstances. And that's why James chapter 1, verses 23 through 25 is there. Because it's like a natural person looking at their face in the mirror. That's what the gospel does. You see yourself in it very clearly. That's, it, it shows all the faults. And it's a lot easier to just walk away and pretend that you didn't see that. It's a lot harder to sit there and look at that picture and to absorb it and to confess that's the reality. And that's why here must have or to develop the disposition to consider what is being said and to see if they can apply it to their lives, even if it makes them uncomfortable or it exposes their sin. That's the, what the Word of God does in Hebrews 4.12. And we, we shouldn't uh, tiptoe around that. We shouldn't grit our teeth about it. It's supposed to do that. Does that mean that there are some people who are going to not like that and, and want to get away? Absolutely. But it also means some people are going to be convicted of their sin and change their hearts and minds and 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 and, cha- and become good Christians. Uh, if we don't have that reaction, we may not get the fruit we want uh, from them, based upon what we see in Scripture. Now, can we deflect or deny the application of the Word of God? Yeah, but whenever we do that, we're kind of hardening ourselves against the influence of God and His Word. And that's a big problem, because if we start doing that, we start hearing God's Word and immediately find ways of deflecting it, not applying it to our lives, uh, always finding excuses for ourselves, then we're searing our conscience as with an iron. And that's how you start the process of falling away from God, because you're no longer open to His chastisement, rebuke, or exhortation. And that's what Paul is warned about, for, Paul warns Timothy about in 1 Timothy 4, 1-3. That's what we see happen in Israel in days of the prophets. They just tuned it out. They just would refuse to believe that they were actually speaking the truth. They didn't want to apply to their lives, uh, or they just got tired of it and just turned it off. So that's a big challenge as we grow in Christ. To be willing to hear the word of God always. To allow it to correct and rebuke us always, lest we become conceited and fall away. That's why Paul warns Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 1-6, to preach the word, to exhort, reprove in all seasons. Uh, well, in, because people were going to go after uh, sound, smooth doctrines with, with their itching ears. To, find, to heap up teachers after their own lusts. That's not just a, we want to go down perverted path. That's also, we're tired. We don't want to fight anymore. Or, we need a break. The same mentality leads to the same type of deadening and hardening to the Word of God. We don't get a break till we're done. And that's hard to imagine sometimes. There are some times where it may be lower. But even when we're going through our valleys, even though we're going through difficulties, we must still have that open, soft heart toward God. And this is as true for the believer as the unbeliever. 
we must always seek to maintain an open-hearted mind toward the Lord, to submit to His authority, to accept His message in our lives. There's a whole lot that goes into the acceptance of the gospel message. It requires us to confess the authority that is legitimate in the Word of God, to be open to its critique, and to prove willing to repent of our ways that are inconsistent with its message. And this doesn't end when we become Christians. It is a continual process that we must be continually on guard against, becoming hardened against the proclamation of the gospel. And so let us therefore accept God's revelation for what it is, by the authority of God, to conform our lives to its message and to encourage other people to do the same. And we're again thankful that you've spent this time with us. We hope that you've been encouraged by this. If you'd like to talk more about this, uh, some of the difficulties in hearing the Word of God, maybe you'd like uh, to understand more about what God has said in Scripture. Maybe you'd like to learn how to become a Christian. Maybe you just need encouragement. Maybe you're going through some difficult times. Maybe a prayer request. If there's any way we can help you, please let me do so. Please contact me personally through my website, theverbalvitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. Or you may want to check out more about the, the Venice Church of Christ. We're online at VeniceChurchOfChrist.org. We're also on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, Google+, Twitter, YouTube, Meetup, um, at Venice Church or Venice Church of Christ. We again thank you. Have a great day.